Welcome to Policy Chats, the official podcast of the School of Public Policy at the University of California, Riverside. I'm your host, Kevin Karami. Join me and my classmates as we learn about potential policy solutions for today's biggest societal challenges. Joining us today is the Executive Director of the Student Debt Crisis Center, Cody Hunanian. I chatted with him about the student debt crisis. Cody Hunanian is the Executive Director for the Student Debt Crisis Center. He's an expert on student debt and his work involves overseeing the program management of SDCC. Mr. Hunanian, thank you so much for joining me today. I know this is a really, really important topic, uh, especially given that um, we're a university and we host a, the podcast on, on campus. Um, so I wanted to kind of start off with a general question to get the conversation going. Uh, can you provide us a background on where student debt started, right? How did it balloon to where it is now and um, where it affects millions of students uh, across the country? Sure, and I'm happy to be here to talk about this issue. So thank you again. Um, well, you know, student loan debt, let's let's take a trip down, you know, history real quick, start from square one, and then we could talk about when it became a crisis. The origins of student loan debt here in America really come out of the era after World War II. And the thinking then was that the government should support Americans' higher education endeavors because it makes our society more educated, more skilled, and thus more prosperous coming out of the other side of World War II. And also there was this other thought, which was for our own national security purposes, it is good to have an educated citizenry. And so we first saw um, the government contribute to higher education in programs like the GI Bill, which helped educate uh, soldiers coming back from the war. Later on in the 60s, we created the first federally backed student loan program. The dream there was to make college accessible to anyone who wanted to attend it and it opened the door for low-income Americans to be able to uh, get an education in a way that they never had before. So the root, like the dream that the student loan system is built out of is really about access. It's about bettering our society. It's about making us more secure and prosperous. All of these things, of course, are great. Um, Ironically, where we are at today, though, is that we have a student loan system that does the opposite. Student debt makes it inaccessible for low-income students to access school. Having a, a society crushed by debt actually makes us less prosperous and hampers our national security. And that's all because we are facing what I and our organization consider a crisis. And the heart, what really drove this crisis was uh, many of the changes that happened after the recession in 2008. And so what happened was that many states, most states, uh, severely cut their investment in higher education. That didn't mean that uh, less people went to college because we still lived in a society that was urgently telling people to go to college. What it meant was that the, the cost that states and local governments used to subsidize was now put on the backs of families and individuals. And the only choice that families and individuals had was to access student loans. And since 2008, we have seen this issue grow by $100 billion per year, and it has reached crisis uh, proportions, something that not only hurts borrowers and their families, but is holding back the entire economy. 
Definitely, that's really interesting to hear. And something that, you know, you talked about the, uh, the 2008 recession and the impact that it had. And, you know, it almost sounds like it kind of snowballed afterwards. Um, I did want to ask before that, how big of an issue was student loan debt? Was it, was it a non-issue? Was it something that people didn't really talk about? Um, and, and if so, you know, what can we do? You know, what, what have been the impacts since the 08 recession? Because, you know, if it snowballed so much in just the past, you know, um, in the past decade or so, um, where are we headed, right? So, so I guess first, can we start off with the, was it even an issue before then? So student loans were an issue before 2008. Um, the argue or the discussions around student loan debt were very different though. So in like the 90s, we saw uh, reforms to the student loan program that were mostly just designed to make the government budget more um, sustainable. Uh, there are also other reforms in the 90s and early 2000s that were really designed at limiting um, kind of industry abuse uh, the system looked different then. We had a lot of private businesses that were lending money to borrowers through government programs. And so there, it was a lot of consumer protection type of work. What, um, and what that, what that problem looked like mostly before 2008 was that there were many families that had student loan debt. They were mostly suffering in silence, meaning these, this was kind of a personal financial problem. It wasn't well talked about. It wasn't covered by the news. There wasn't much research about it. Um, and that's all changed. And the reason all that's changed is because the number, that total debt amount has just ballooned. And so when you have you know, a, a debt burden of $1.7 trillion and you have 42 million Americans impacted, it's an issue that cannot be ignored today. And so it was a problem then, it's a crisis today. And it's, a, it's because the, the scope the scale and the reach of this crisis has just grown exponentially. Definitely. Um, and the impacts, like you mentioned, um, affect so many people. Um, and it's a conversation that has expanded. It was something that I, um, you know, you talk about before you start college and then you talk about and worry about why, while you're attending. And it's something that affects you afterwards. And a lot of people, it affects them for um, a majority of their, of their lives um, because of how, um, how high up it is now. One thing that I, I wanna kind of talk about as well, um, and you mentioned this uh, in the past that there's that kind of this phenomenon that's been going on, you know, I would say relatively recently, um, where there's, there's this push for students um, to go to college, right? Um, and obviously, you know, the, the current situation doesn't, you know, it, just because debt is so high up doesn't mean that students you know, should or shouldn't, you know, it's a, it's a choice that students should make on their own and that shouldn't be as bad as it is. The, the current system is clearly flawed like you outlined, but where does that push to go to college kind of come from? Uh, especially when so many people are aware now of the, you know, the, the financial situation that many of them would have to get themselves into. Why does that push still exist, do you think? Well, I think there is just the reality about what the 21st century economy is going to look like, um, not just for Americans, but for people all over the, the world. Um, we are facing a future in which technology drives so much of the economy and so much of our behavior. We are facing a, an economy in which many new, newly um, competitive countries like China are competing at incredibly high levels and they provide um, you know, very 
uh, um, high level educations for many of their individuals. And, and obviously we also have our allies in places like Germany and others in Europe that provide education for free. And what, what we, Americans should be concerned about is that we're falling behind. We are no longer leading the world when it comes to having an educated workforce. And I think that workforce piece is important here because we're talking about education, not just for the sake of education, but for innovation, for business creation, uh, for competition in the global stage uh, and, and global economy. For all those reasons, I, I think higher education is, is essential. Um, at the same time, I think this conversation has been misguided because what happened was the conversation became, you should go to college and not these other routes, meaning trade schools uh, and other really great careers that we still need in our society. So it never was meant to be uh, a this or that. It was an and. We need uh, electricians. We need blue collar workers who work uh, in agriculture. We need all of the people who support our society. And we need those who are, are interested and willing to be educated, a highly educated workforce. Uh, it's all of that combined that makes us competitive and, and make sure that our, our society is well supported in, in all corners. Um, and so I think that that call for individuals to go to college is still really important. And I think it really will define our place in the global economy over the next you know, 10, 20, 30, 40 years. The problem is there's almost no other country, well, really there is no other country that has told their citizens to go get an education as much as the United States and also at the same time crush them with so much debt. And we're now looking in a scenario in our society in which many people do not think higher education provides enough benefits. And it's because the debt has stripped all those benefits away. And I find that just so sad. Education is and always has been the opportunity for individuals to access the American dream. You know, my parents, excuse me, my grandparents are immigrants from France and their parents were refugees from Armenia and education for them was the only choice for social mobility. Uh, and I, I am one of those, you know, grandchildren of immigrants that truly believes in that. Uh, so it's not that higher education is no longer beneficial or doesn't work. It's that the cost and the debt associated with it, with it has almost negated all of those benefits. That's where the change needs to happen. And we really should focus more on fixing college costs and student debt and not get stuck talking about is college worth it or not. When we all know education in all forms, whether it's trade school, whether it's uh, college, whether it's some other type of program, uh, it is valuable. And we all, you know, I think most of us do agree that. Are economic sanctions overused? Two UC Riverside students face off about this issue at a policy debate hosted by the UCR School of Public Policy on May 23rd at 5 p.m. Pacific. Special guest judge is founding dean of the School of Public Policy, Anil Diolalakar. Learn more by going to spp.ucr.edu. You can also find the RSVP link in our show notes. I think that's a great point. And I, and I love the way you phrased it, that um, it's not about one or the other. It's not a black and white, uh, it's a black and white situation. It's, it's, it's and, right? You yeah, need you people who attend. Oh, I was going to just say one, one thing I always like to refer to is, you know, I went to college and I have a degree. My uh, older brother is an electrician. You know, college wasn't for him. And yet his trade program was run through a community college. My other brother is a law enforcement officer. His 
um, academy also run through a community college. So even those who don't think that higher education is for them, many of us are actually engaged in higher education in many different ways. And we need to expand the conversation to include all of that. A hundred percent. I think that's a great point. And, and I love how you, you said that it's, you know, people don't think that it's integrated into our society as much, but it is. And in a lot of careers, there is that intersection with it. Um, there is that involvement with it. Um, you know, there is also community involvement that's also uh, often forgotten. Um, so I guess, you know, we've been talking about a lot about the issues surrounding it. Um, one thing I want to ask about, and this is a topic that is equally as important, if not more important, is what has been done, um, what hasn't been done. I know there's probably a lot that you can talk about on what hasn't been done, but uh, what's been done, um, you know, maybe in the recent years, maybe in the last decade or so, um, to tackle this issue, if anything. Yeah, so I've been working now on student loan debt for almost a decade. I think it's about been eight years this year. So it's been quite some time. And I have seen this movement change uh, and grow and mature in so many ways. And so I, I'll start from the beginning and we can work our way closer to, to now. But when I first started working on student loan debt, you know, the big issues that were gaining attention were one, uh, the proliferation of predatory for-profit colleges. And so many um, Americans went back to school during the recession to try to skill up and give themselves a chance at a better future. And these for-profit colleges were there to, to give anyone a shot, but what they ultimately did was crush them in debt and give them, many of them, useless degrees. Uh, and today, many of those schools are shut down for being frauds. Uh, and so we were really working on the consumer protection angle. Um, earlier on, we were also trying to keep interest rates down and we had some success. Congress at one point was going to double the interest rate on federal student loans, that was stopped. You know, at the time, those were all big wins, but what was still kind of holding our movement back was uh, there was still this broad lack of awareness. The everyday American hadn't really gotten in tune with the fact that there was a student debt crisis. Most older bar or Americans um, still think of, of a summer job that you can take to pay off your tuition for the, for the next year. It's just not the case anymore. And so what I think has really been one of the biggest victories over the last 10 years has been just the fact that we have taken this silent personal finance issue and put it under the spotlight to become what I think is one of the most important economic, national economic discussions happening right now. And that's all because of people sharing their stories, speaking out, you know, our organization, Student Debt Crisis Center has collected, you know, tens of thousands of student debt stories over the years. And it's not an easy topic for individuals to talk about. There's a lot of stigma associated with it. So, you know, prior to just a few years ago, I would have said, you know what, our biggest win is just the fact that we have put a magnifying glass on this issue. And, and now people know there's awareness and we can start to come up with solutions. But the last few years, as this pandemic has kind of pulled back the veil and exposed so many inequities and problems in our society. This movement to cancel student loan debt, to wipe the slate clean so we can create a better future has really uh, just built so much momentum behind it. It's almost incredible. And so recently we have had in the last year, a string of victories. We had uh, uh, a fix for student loan forgiveness for public service workers. This was for uh, teachers and nurses and social workers and other public service workers who should have had their student loans forgiven by law and didn't. 
Uh, we've had uh, another program that provides debt relief after 20 or 25 years uh, get uh, have recent reforms that should help address some of the pitfalls there. And now, just in the last few weeks, we have the president acknowledging that he is considering canceling student loan debt, which he promised on the campaign trail. And so we are, in my opinion, just possibly weeks away, according to the president, to securing significant relief for millions of Americans. So I'm incredibly optimistic. The work isn't over, but we have taken this issue uh, all the way to the White House, and now we are being heard and solutions are being proposed. So it's a very exciting time uh, to be working in student loan debt. It's great to hear. And I also heard about um, the president's um, uh, statement on that. And I think it's really fascinating. And it is great to hear that that is being considered. Um, one thing I do want to ask about on that specifically, the, the, the idea of canceling it entirely. Um, you know, I've heard, you know, you hear talk about people um, going against that sentiment. Um, what would that actually look like, right? So if that were to happen, what would, you know, would a new system have to be implemented in its place? Or would it be just more like a reset button type of, uh, of situation where it's canceled, but then the system is this, it's the same system? Um, what kinds of changes need to be made that, you know, so that we don't have this same issue 20 years again in the future, right? It's a great question. So, you know, let's just imagine that all student loan debt was canceled. If we did that, what would be the benefits would be, uh, according to reports, we would have billions of dollars in growth of GDP. So it'd be good for the economy. We would see um, many jobs created in the economy, according to another report. Um, and, you know, I think some of the benefits are obvious. 40 million Americans would no longer have hundreds, if not thousands of dollars taken out of their wallets every month. So millions of people would be able to purchase homes, start uh, businesses, start families, and just contribute to our economy in a much bigger way. It would unleash the full potential of the American uh, individuals and families and consumers. So the benefits would be huge. Uh, but what you said is absolutely right. Uh, we do need to continue to work on many changes that we haven't secured yet. So yes, we need to address the cost of college. We can't have another student debt crisis in five, 10, 20 years from now. Uh, the big thing here is that the president can cancel student loan debt on his own through an executive action, and he can't make college free with an executive action, or at least we don't think he can. Uh, and so that work still needs to be done. It needs to be done in Congress and in state legislatures across the country. Uh, and if we wiped away all student loan debt, what that typically means is that we would cancel all federal student loans because those are the loans that the government owns themselves. That would mean that a small piece of the student loan pie would still be in the hands of private banks that have lent uh, to students. And so we need to also focus on those borrowers. So we need stronger consumer protections. We need um, to work on providing relief to people with private student loans. We need to build um, a better infrastructure for those uh, borrowers to, to um, identify industry abuse. All of that work, which is currently being done behind the scenes will need to continue. Um, and more broadly, this is kind of a bigger vision. We do need to reimagine what higher education looks like in America. What I, when I mentioned that predatory for-profit schools took advantage of millions of Americans right when they were struggling the most, that's just immoral. And we need to have a system that really puts like high quality institutions that have high quality income outcomes for borrowers 
uh, at the center of the higher education experience for many Americans. And so there's a lot of work to be done there as well. Uh, but back to the cancellation piece, I wanna say one thing that's also important. Canceling all debt would be huge. And there is a report by the Roosevelt Institute that shows uh, that student debt cancellation is progressive. And what they say is if you cancel more debt, more benefits get to more people who need it the most. These are people with low wealth. Um, and so canceling all debt would be huge. Canceling $50,000 of student loan debt would also be huge. It would erase the slate for 80% of people with student loans. And I think it's almost 90% or maybe even more of black student loan borrowers would have their debt erased under the $50,000 total. Uh, and so we, we are open to discussion with the administration about how much and how to do it um, as long as it actually is comprehensive and it reaches the people who need it most. Uh, there's other discussions right now about 10,000 with some income limitations. That's just not going to cut it. Uh, we need to think big and bold, and that's what the American people want from this president. The UC Riverside School of Public Policy is excited to announce the launch in fall 2022 of its new combined BA and Master of Public Policy program as the only such program offered exclusively within a public policy school in the entire UC system, the UCR BA MPP will allow public policy students to complete both their public policy major and graduate studies in five years. Learn more at spp.ucr.edu ba-mpp for more information. You can also find the link in our show notes. Definitely. I like the way you said at the end, too, that we think big and bold. The issue is so, so massive that minor incremental changes aren't really going to have an impact on the majority of people, um, especially those who are low income and really need the support. Um, yeah, just cancel. Not yeah exactly. Fix. <laughs> exactly. If you just cancel a few thousand dollars, that, that's not going to really have the impact that we want. Yeah. Um, and I think it's interesting that you mentioned the idea that you don't even have to cancel all of it in one set. You know, you can do these kind of, you mentioned like 50,000, for example, you can start off with that and, and that can have an impact on a lot of people. And then you can, you know, maybe uh, have discussions for something further down the line. Um, but yeah, you know, that, that last piece you mentioned about um, there being the opportunity to do more. I think one thing that's also important about the president canceling debt right now is, um, you know, if he takes this action and he proves that the president does in fact have the ability to cancel student debt, which we are you know, we're confident he does because of the legal analysis. Um, it would mean that the that the president has authority moving forward forever. And so uh, obviously we want comprehensive reform, um, but we're also happy to see that the presidential, this would be a big win for the presidential authority on this issue. Um, and we would, we would really applaud and, and be happy to know that once and for all the issue is settled and that the president does in fact have that authority. So that can't be understated as how big of a win that would be as well. 100%, it sends a precedent that this can be done in the future like you mentioned. Yeah. Um, and, and yeah, it's great to hear that, you know, in a lot of ways we are living in a very exciting time in that sense um, because that conversation is happening in the highest office of our country. So um, uh, that's a really good, uh, good note to, to talk about because usually this conversation can be um, kind of gloomy and kind of negative, but um, yeah. And, and something you mentioned earlier that I really liked was how the pandemic kind of uh, shined a light on this. You know, um, obviously you were talking about how in the last decade there was more and more talk. Um, you know, your your organization was working really, really diligently to 
make this a national conversation and the pandemic hit. And um, in a lot of ways, just like you mentioned, it really just kind of, um, you know, the covers were, were, were lifted, right? It was, everything was exposed. Um, more and more people were coming out, telling their personal stories. Um, one thing I want to talk about, you know, you talked about for-profit colleges and the predatory behavior that they engaged in. And, and I've um, done some, my own research on that as well. And it is, it, it's sometimes so scary to, to, to hear about those stories and what those people went through. There is something else that I wanted to kind of ask about. It's a conversation that I've heard and had myself before in the past. And that's the idea that, is it predatory when you're a high school student and you are the one, you know, essentially given a lot of control and choice in managing and, and selecting, you know, which loans you want, if you want loans in the first place. Um, because in a lot of ways, and I've heard this, this argument made a lot, it's predatory because they don't really know what that means, what it entails to take on those loans. And so what are your thoughts on that? Do you think that that is something, do you think it's just a systematic issue or do you think that it is almost kind of like the for-profit colleges scenario where there's almost like a predatory nature um, uh, behind it? So, you know, I think part of the problem with that conversation is that the the onus of the responsibility is kind of focused in the wrong place. And so there are opponents of our issue who say, you took out the loans, you're responsible, and you should pay them back. And it ignores the fact that these students are following the traditional trajectory, which is to leave high school, and many of them go straight to college. Not, not all students, obviously, but many of them do. And what it ignores is the fact that the government has raised its hand and said, we want to invest in the future of young people by helping them go to college. And they've created a system in which there are loans available to people of all ages, of all backgrounds to pay for that education. And so we have to look ourselves in the mirror and say, is this a traditional financial product or is this a unique government program designed to help support the education of our citizens? And for me, it's the latter. And so kind of the cost of doing business in our student loan system is that there are young people who will take out student loans who may not complete their degree. And there are others who may not be familiar with the student loan system because it's so damn complex. And there are others who will face a myriad of challenges because they're in a very dynamic and vulnerable place in their life. And yet that is when many people go to college. And so I think we need to have a system that is quite forgiving we need to stop treating it as if it's only about the bottom line, as if we're running a bank. We're not, we are running a benefit for citizens to help them go to college. And that's just the reality of it. And um, you know, on the other side of this is the reality that our system has never been designed for 18 year olds who have never worked or rarely worked to ever be able to afford $100,000 tuition a year. Uh, we have a system that was designed for families to contribute. Often parents are called upon to help contribute to someone's education. And we know that's not always the case. Many people have parents, uh, one, don't have parents, or two, don't have parents that can financially contribute to their higher education. And the point of the student loan system is to give everyone a shot at higher education. It should not matter what your upbringing was, who your parents are, or what your status is in society to get an education. Um, and that's why we created a loan system to make it accessible. The problem is we're treating this loan system as if it's just a car loan we got at Wells Fargo Bank, when in reality, it is a very 
different type of entity. It has a different mission. It's not designed to make money. It's designed to be a benefit to students and families. Um, for all those reasons, we just have to take some of the responsibility off the shoulders of these young people and their families um, and kind of think honestly about how the system is designed and who really holds the levers here. 100%. And I, and I think something that you mentioned that I, that I didn't even think about is the, the idea that there needs to be a distinction made between these kinds of loans and other kinds of loans. It's, it's just like you mentioned, it's not the same. Um, it's totally different. It just has the same, it's just labeled the same. There are no other, there really aren't any other similarities um, and the people taking it out, um, the, the way um, the system is set up. Um, and I think that distinction is really important and I don't really see it being made um, really often at all, especially when people bring up those kind of counter arguments that you mentioned, you know, the idea that, hey, you took out the loan, you owe it, right? Yeah. Um, and let, let me remind the audience too, um, it's a bit tangential, but you know, the government issued billions of dollars in loans to businesses during the pandemic and forgave most of it. Uh, so it's not, when we talk about erasing the debt for young people who've been crushed by student loans, um, it's not unheard of that the government would give out what is called a loan to entities or individuals with the full intention that they won't be paid back because that's part of a government infusing funds and support into society for the benefit of all. Um, and so I, I, we have a very timely, relevant COVID pandemic era example that I think many of us can look to because we were very familiar with that PPP loan program where businesses got free money. Social injustice, health disparities, climate change. Are you interested in solving pressing challenges like these currently facing our region and the world? Then consider joining the next cohort of future policy leaders like me by applying for the UCR Master of Public Policy program. Learn more at mpp.ucr.edu. You can also find the link in our show notes. Definitely, I think that's great too, especially when you um, you use that argument and, and you really should go to show that it's not, you know, this is not just some random idea that people are talking about that. Yep. There, is, there is legitimacy behind it. One thing I wanted to ask about was, um, you know, we've talked about, you've also talked about how there've been a lot of reports. I've also seen a lot of evidence on the benefits um, nationally um, on uh, that would happen as a result of this. And this question might be, might have an obvious answer, but I still think it's important to ask, why is there still so much, you know, why are there so many people that are still against this? Um, why is there, why are there so many naysayers when yeah. it seems pretty clear that this is a really big problem for a lot of people and the benefits of it would be beneficial to everyone? Well, interestingly, uh, I think there's actually less naysayers than many people think. Uh, there was recent polling released just this last Saturday that showed a majority of Americans, and that included a majority of Americans who don't have student loans and a majority of Americans who never went to college that support student debt cancellation. And so I think at times, folks who are on the opposite side of this discussion have jumped to this kind of instinctual reaction that Americans will think debt cancellation is unfair because they don't get a piece of the pie. But in reality, most Americans find it unfair that we have a higher education system that crushes families with student loan debt just for trying to get an education. Um, and so that's good news. The good news is many, many Americans support the issue. 
for those that don't support the issue, um, you know, I think there's some different buckets. One of the buckets of people I think are frankly older people. There is a generational misunderstanding because I hear from a lot of people who say, I had a summer job and I paid for college or I worked after college and I paid it off in two years. Why can't you? And the reality is, is that the cost of college has increased a thousand percent since the seventies. And yet wages have been stagnant, you know, for, for decades here in the U S. So we, we have seen tuition skyrocket at a rate so fast that many Americans don't even know the reality that students face today. Um, and that's where education and awareness comes in. If we can communicate to those people that the America and the higher education system that they remember is so different, then maybe they can come to terms with the fact that we need to take a new and innovative approach to solving the problem. Um, and then there are others who unfortunately think that student loan debt is a handout to the rich. And um, in fact, I saw a piece published over the last week that called it a bribe to rich people. I think that is so horribly inaccurate because one, rich Americans don't take out student loans. Those, those Americans don't need the type of financial support that, rig, that everyday working class students need. They're not even included in the research because they never had to take out student loans. Yes, there are, are people with somewhat high incomes who have student loan debt, but they are the, those, those are people among us who should be thriving and instead student loan debt has held them back and they're not being as prosperous as they should and that hurts our economy. Um, and so I think uh, the other research that's out there has also shown that um, if you look at student debt cancellation through the lens of wealth, not income, you will see that black and brown and lower income borrowers with low family wealth and low generational wealth benefit the most from debt cancellation. So we can poke holes in that argument all day. Debt cancellation is not a handout to the rich or the wealthy. Um, and I, you know, I think those people need kind of a, a new lesson in economics using some of the, the more nuanced approaches and research that our side really leans on. And you know, I would look at the Roosevelt Institute and some of these other um, experts that have really looked at this issue with a more modern lens. And, and it certainly is not a benefit for wealthy people and certainly isn't a bribe. I, what I would call a bribe is a $1.7 trillion tax cut uh, from the Trump era that went to the wealthiest Americans when that could have erased our entire student debt crisis uh, in one swoop. I think that's such a powerful note um, that you just made. And, and it really shows that, you know, I think a lot of people and including myself, you know, I didn't know that there was a majority of Americans who aren't even, you know, haven't taken these loans, still support canceling it. And it really just shows that the, the naysayers and people who really don't want this to happen, um, have platforms and have um, pretty far reach. You know, if you look at social media, and I know social media has had a very positive impact on this because a lot of people are able to kind of share their stories and talk about it. Um, but there is also that negative aspect. You have a lot of people um, painting this picture that most people don't want this. Um, and I think that a lot of people can also look at that and say, hey, you know, I've seen this on, you know, Facebook or Twitter or whatever, um, whichever platform it may be. And, and it really just goes to show, you know, even, even if, you know, uh, the president cancels everything, uh, cancels the, the current debt we have right now, it's still going to take systematic change. It's still going to require, you know, the work doesn't really end there. 
um, I guess is the main yep. point. Um, it's not just about canceling. There's got to be follow through. There has to be policy changes um, that are made to the system because there are so many issues that you know we've discussed um, here today that really need to be addressed. Um, so I guess to kind of conclude our conversation, I know you've already spoken about the, uh, the work that you've done. Um, is there anything else about you know, your organization or maybe um, any specific um, uh, moment that you want to highlight that you've been involved in? Um, well, I'm not sure it's a specific moment, but I want to highlight and you know, applaud the work that everyday people have done just in the last few months. Um, we have at Student Debt Crisis Center really seen people get so energized about the potential for a big win um, that it's really been inspiring. And so um, I'll just point to a few recent victories. I mentioned that there was a fix for the public service loan forgiveness program. That came out of the fact that 40,000 people shared their story and experience with the program with the Department of Education, and it forced them to respond. Uh, recently, federal student loan payments were set to begin on May 1st. We were part of an event that brought hundreds of borrowers on the ground in Washington, D.C. to protest in front of the Department of Education and the White House. And the next day, the administration extended the pause until August uh, 31st. So the, the work that everyday people are doing, the story sharing, signing petitions, sending letters, calling uh, the White House, it is having a real-time impact in a way that I've never seen in all the years I've been working on this issue. And so I really am cherishing that right now. And I want us to, um, even though there's so much going on, there's a lot of negative news right now, um, we should really relish in the fact that we're making a difference and we're very close to a win. So that for me has been a, a moment that I won't forget and I, we're still kind of living in it. And I wanna you know, continue to ride that wave of success because we're, we are having a huge impact. I love it. I love ending on a positive note. Yeah. Um, and this is, a, like you said, an evolving story. You know, there might be some massive updates um, a few weeks or a few months um, down the line. So uh, we'll definitely see what happens. But uh, Mr. Hiranian, that is the end of our time. Uh, thank you so much for taking the time to join us to speak about such, an, uh, such a significant issue affecting millions of Americans, um, including students at our university here. So uh, it was an honor to have you on. Thank you. I appreciate it. This podcast is a production of the UC Riverside School of Public Policy. Our theme music was produced by C. Codain. I'm Kevin Karami. Till next time.